Hi everybody, my name is Noel Richards and welcome to this special edition of Confessions of a Worship Leader. On this podcast, I'm talking to my very good friend from Arkansas, Wayne Drain. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Noel. It's great to have you as part of this podcast today. And we're going to find out a little bit more about uh, your life as a musician, a songwriter, a pastor, and various other things. Writer as well. You're an author of books. But uh, first of all, to get us started, let's uh, have some fun trivia questions so people can find out a little bit about you. So, Wayne, uh, you've got an unusual name. Uh, My son, when he was very young, Sam, uh, used to call you Wayne the Drain. But what is your real name? My real name is Everett Wayne Drain. I was named after my dad, who was Leverett. My mother was going to call me Everett. She never thought I would want to be called Wayne, and Wayne and Drain rhymes. But my grandfather, who I really loved, called me by my Cherokee name, which was Wayne. And so I loved that. So I, when I went to school, I was Wayne Drain. And and uh, so that's been an interesting uh, name to have through the years. Yeah, people would think, you know, that that's a, a special stage name that you have created for yourself. But obviously, this is who you are. Yeah, Wayne Drain. Now, Wayne, uh, what is your favorite meal? Well, I think they'd both be prepared by my wife, who is an excellent cook. One would be steak and mm. salad and, and vegetables. And the other would be her cordon bleu. Oh, right. Is that the chicken? Oh. That's the chicken, and it, she makes it in a special way, and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate mm. that she likes to cook because I like to eat. <laughs> okay, so we've got your favorite meal. And obviously, being American, Americans are always uh, into sport, particularly uh, here in the southern states. Uh, what is your favorite sport? Well, I like to play baseball. That would be my favorite. But I like to watch football. I'm a bit small to play football myself, but I love to watch it. And your favorite football team would be? That would be the Arkansas Razorbacks. Oh, right. And uh, tell me a little bit about the Razorbacks, because I think people don't really understand uh, how big college football is. Well, in our state, there's not a professional team like the Dallas Cowboys. So our primary university, University of Arkansas, their college team becomes the state's team. So it's it's the team that little boys grow up to want to play in. And, and, uh, but they were called the Arkansas Razorbacks, um, named after a hog. So we call them the hogs. And, uh, and an Arkansas Razorback was a wild boar that had tusks and was very tough. If you met them in the woods, you wanted to get away from them. So we kind of liked that image for playing other sport teams. Right. Yeah. And of course, I, you have taken me and Trisha to uh, the Hogs. We've called the Hogs. It's quite a, Did it change your life, Noel? Oh, absolutely. It's quite amazing to see 70,000 people crammed into that stadium week after week. It's absolutely incredible. Okay, now uh, your favorite artist. Who who would your favorite artist be? Oh, without a without a doubt, it'd be Paul McCartney. Now uh, I know that you've got a very interesting story about Paul McCartney. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, when I was twelve years old, February ninth, nineteen sixty four. I was watching Ed Sullivan's show with my mom and dad, and uh, this band from England came on called the Beatles. And I looked at Paul McCartney playing bass, and I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be a musician, uh-huh. and this, and one day I want to meet that guy. Well, years later, 30 years later, whatever, I'm at uh, 
I'm in England, and I'm doing a, a youth event where I'm training young people how to hear the voice of God through the gifts of the Spirit. And this 13-year-old girl, she said, she said, I think I have a word for you. She said, you, when you were 12, you saw something that became a dream, mm-hmm. and that dream's going to come true this week. What I didn't know is, is our good friend, producer Les Moyer, was at Abbey Road working that week, and he called me later in the week and said, Wayne, get to Abbey Road Studios. McCartney's here. So I went down to Abbey Road Studios, waited all day, uh, about to leave when he came out of the studio right at 4.30, and I met him on a landing and got to meet Paul McCartney, and I realized at that moment, when I was 12, he's what I had seen on the Ed Sullivan Show that made me want to be a musician, and that little girl had had a prophetic word that that very week a dream would come true. That's incredible. So you have met Paul McCartney. I have. Which uh, is quite incredible in the legendary Abbey Road Studios. And did you did you talk to, to Paul? Well, it's one of my most embarrassing moments, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm with my worship leader friend, Paul Balash, and we're waiting in the little... Uh, restaurant at the top of Abbey Road Studios and we wait all day and McCartney's in the studio but I've got to leave to be somewhere that night so I told Paul Balash I said well if, if he comes up here get an autograph for me so I go down the steps and I hit the landing to where the steps turn again and just as I hit the landing McCartney hit the landing and I thought I might pass out but what came out of my mouth was Paul McCartney I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm thinking, stupid, stupid, stupid. But then he said, you got good taste, mate. And that was it. That was it. So then I went on downstairs, and I'm a sh- little shaky. And he goes upstairs. I hear, him, I hear Paul Balash say, Paul McCartney, I'm a big fan. He said, can I have my picture with you? And McCartney said, yeah, and get that nice bloke I met on the landing. And so he called down the stairs. He called me back up, and I got to have my picture taken with Paul McCartney. So on your wall in your office is a picture of you and Paul McCartney together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what most people may not know is that I had sliced out Paul Balash's side of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, well, that as embarrassing moments go, that's that's probably quite something to actually end up talking to somebody like Paul McCartney and then really saying the most, what can you say, ordinary kind of thing asinine thing asinine that's that's the word i was looking for asinine yes okay so uh, apart from somebody like paul mccartney who i guess is you know a great musical hero for you what about uh, a spiritual hero do you do you have anybody in mind well in, in my spiritual hero in the bible would be king david because he was a worshiper as a musician and i learned so much uh, reading about his life in the old testament but in real life um Probably my hero would be Laddie McDonough, who uh-huh. was my mentor for a number of years, an older man that that took an interest in me and, and gave me my first opportunities to go and lead worship as he spoke around the nation. Yeah, okay. And Laddie was part of your church? He was actually part of another church in, in Joplin, Missouri, and I met him at a conference in Missouri, and then he invited me to go on the road with him. For So for three years, I was his driver, and I led uh-huh. worship for him. And and he just shared with me about life, about pr- prophetic ministry, and and uh, he became a father in the faith to me. Yeah. So you, you you talked about becoming a musician. So 
Can you maybe just explain how you ended up as a musician, as a songwriter, doing that part of things? Well, in those days, you had to be a musician if you were American and you'd seen the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was a requirement. But anyway, I started a band. It was called Stingrays. And I literally knew three chords, but I didn't know the truth yet. So I, <laughs> so we had a band, and it got quite popular in our area. And then I had another band called Summerfield that, that made a record and and uh, still being influenced by the Beatles and the British Invasion, but also the soul music and southern rock music. And then uh, uh, so I played regionally with that band Summerfield we played around um four or five state area and we and we had quite a good following it was a good band but then uh, when I got to college got to university um I went started going to a bible study that turned into what we call the Jesus movement mm-hmm. and I heard a whole different kind of music I thought all church music was boring but I heard these guys singing songs that were good and fresh and new, and so that's what I wanted to do. So were you a Christian when you went to college or when you started playing music? I I was, I think, a Christian when I was a little boy. Then I got away from it, and uh, I played for the other team for a while. Okay. So came back and gave my heart to the Lord when I was, I think, 18, and uh started trying to live the life. And uh, I realized that the sort of music I was playing and the places I was going was not very healthy, and I probably need to make a change. Then I discovered contemporary Christian music, people like Love Song, Phil Kage, Keith Green, people like that I, I got to meet and do festivals with and and so we had a band called the jesus company okay and so we played in in a lot of those festivals a lot of those events and and then uh, that was the next part of the journey from rock and roll to sort of christian rock they called contemporary christian music and then uh i went to your nation yeah uh and uh and and i was introduced to worship and when an american at that time thought of worship he thought of a choir director standing in front of a choir with an organ on one side of the church piano on the other but when i got to england it was guitars and full band and but singing worship music which the difference is in our contemporary christian bands we we sang about god yeah but then i discovered a bunch of musicians that were singing to god in worship and i thought oh this is what's next for me and this was that would have been in the late 1970s, I guess. When yes, you... 1979 is when I went to England for the first time. And by that time, though, of course, you were pastoring a church in Arkansas? Yes, a church that grew out of uh, this Jesus movement on our campus, Arkansas Tech University. My wife and I had a little house at the end of the football field, and all the kids would come to our house. And, you know, with college kids, if you feed them, they will come. So we just fed them. <laughs> They came, and, and I kept waiting for a real pastor to come along. And then after about 10 years, I realized I was him. So, I mean, being a pastor was not in your thinking in terms of a lifelong career. Uh, no. If that's the right kind of word. Right? No, no, it was not in my thinking. And I, I'd had ministers in my family, mainly tent evangelists, and and um, and I saw that their their itinerant life was not the healthiest thing for families. And I thought, that's not what I want to do. But then 
this word comes, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to, and, I, and so I started on a journey to accept that word. Okay. Then I pastored that church for 45 years. And you just said something like you, you went on a journey to, uh, I guess, embody that word that was given to you. Is that the sort of thing that you need to do when you get some kind of, what you say, a word from God or a prophetic word? Well, if you, if you hear something from God, whether it's in the Bible or whether it's from a prophetic word, uh, your response, is, if you think it's true, is to obey it. Uh-huh. And so in the Hebrew language, the word hear and the word obey is the same word. So if you haven't obeyed, you haven't heard. So so I just did what I could to obey. And, of course, I was a young believer, and I had a learning curve. And fortunately, I had people like Letty McDonough that, that really helped me negotiate those years. And uh, talking about the church that you've pastored, I mean, I've got lots of great memories of, of being with you in the church and being with the wonderful people of Fellowship of Christians. We've had you yeah. in to lead worship a number of times, and you had a great influence on our worship teams. And you know, it's quite incredible that you pastored that church for 45 years, and that's kind of a rarity in the U.S. because pastors are a little bit like football coaches, you know, here one day, gone the next. Yeah. You know, How come you pastored a church for so long? Well, I've thought about that, and I, the bottom line would be is the Lord helped me. But the, one of the ways he helped me is we were a church of relationship and not just a uh, a ritual. And so I genuinely loved the folks who were my friends, and I was their friend, and, and we didn't want to do life with other people. We wanted to be together, and so that's part of what I think caused us to stay together. We're all about the same age, college and high school, and then we all start having kids about the same time, and there was a lot of natural things that we did together that, of course, a lot of people came and went. They graduated college and got a job and went somewhere else, but there was a core of us that just felt that we should be together and, and start this church and maybe do it a little differently than some of the churches we'd seen. Yeah, and of course, you know, you combined this role of being a lead pastor with being a musician, being a songwriter, and obviously you've you've written some key worship songs over the years, which uh, people really enjoy. Things like "Dancing with the Father," mm-hmm. which uh, you played at Wembley Stadium uh, mm-hmm. in front of forty three thousand people in nineteen ninety seven, the champion of the world, and also a song called "Showers of Blessing," yes, which has been used in so many places. It's a real party song. I mean, how did you get into writing worship songs? Well. When when I was writing non-Christian songs, it, it was about usually about girls or whatever I was interested in. Well, I became a Christian. I was interested in God, and okay. so the things that I would would learn, I would I would feel inspired to write about those things. So, say the song "Showers of Blessing." I was in Australia uh, with a, with some friends on a tour, and we were just had done a sound check. We were back, and it was kind of a difficult situation that night. And I just thought, we need to get up here a little bit. So I just read Deuteronomy 28 about if you obey the Lord, there will be showers of blessing. So I just start playing these chords and start singing out of the Bible, showers of blessing. And, and that little song that I thought was really just a naff song, throwaway song, just became really popular. And people used it in weddings and they used it in church worship services and marching out in the streets, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how a song has legs, even mm-hmm. when you don't think it's that good. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like this is a throwaway song. And yeah. 
obviously that's gone to so many places. Uh, of course, your music took you to New Zealand to work with a couple called Dave and Dale Garrett and Scripture in Song. Yes. I, in fact, you were there when I first met them in New Zealand. We were at an Easter conference, I think, yeah. some sort of conference. And uh, we... And they liked one of the songs I was singing at the conference called My Feet Break Forth in Dance. And uh, and Dave Garrett wanted to record it. So he wanted to hear more of my songs. So I showed them to him. And I became uh, a songwriter for Scripture and Song that was associated with Maranatha music in yeah. America. And so wrote a number of songs with them. And uh, they put a number of my songs on their albums. And I traveled with them to... Malaysia and, and, and Europe and around Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii. And we had a great run for about 10 years. And still, we're, we're really good friends to this day. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's amazing how these, these doors open up. You know, imagine, you know, th that word that came to you all those years ago about going to the nations. Yes. So there you are, pastoring a church, writing song, going to the nations. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Wayne, you know, you and I have traveled. Uh, to so many places over the years together, you know, which has been yes. a real privilege. You know, we've we've worked together, the two of us. Uh, we've written songs together. Trish, uh, you and I, we've sat uh, in this office here where we're talking many times and mm -hmm. have written some songs together. And it's quite amazing, you know, where those songs have gone over the years. And of course, we've we've worked with uh, an Irish guy, Brian Houston, as the Hudson Taylors. I guess some people know of us as the Hudson Taylors, and we've played some amazing places together. We did, we did. One of the cool things, uh, one of the highlights for me is when we played Candlestick Park uh -huh. in California. It was the last place the Beatles played live, other than the rooftop concert. But it's the last stadium they played live, and I remember thinking. We were walking out that day to about 30,000 people or whatever it was. I thought, gosh, the Beatles played here. How fortunate am I <laughs> to be here on this, doing this at this point in time and doing it maybe for different reasons. And, uh, and I just felt very, very grateful. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, you are known for, uh, particularly amongst uh, many of my friends uh, in the UK and other nations as well, uh, is your little yellow pieces of paper. Uh, everywhere you go, you have a, a yellow legal pad with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, at meetings and concerts, you're often sitting there before it starts or while it's happening with a pen in hand, writing words down. Uh, can you explain what what you do? What, what are you writing on those pieces of paper? Well, a gift of prophecy is just a uh, an ability to hear something you think the Lord is saying and to communicate that, but New Testament prophecy as opposed to Old Testament prophecy is not about judgment, but it's about edification, exhortation, and comfort. So that's a different motivation because Jesus brought us out of the law into grace. And so I started receiving these prophetic words, and then I started realizing that people were hearing things I wasn't saying. And, and I thought, what do I do here? And I read in 1 Thessalonians 5 that a prophetic word needs to be carefully examined or tested, and you hold on to the good and let go of maybe that that's more human than person. So I thought, How, what do I do? And I and I was sitting there, and I had a yellow pad, and I thought, I really thought I heard inside my head, inside my spirit, write your words on this yellow pad and give them away so there can be no... Um, there can be no 
confusion about what was said. And so that's why I started. And I, it wasn't my idea. I don't want to take the time to write them down. But I just I saw too many, too many times I saw manipulation and control in the yeah. name of prophecy that bothered me. Yeah, because you, when somebody says, thus says the Lord... What do you do with that? Yeah, it's very difficult to, to argue with that. Right. There's no room for negotiation. Somebody once said, you know, thus says the Lord, you sing too loud. Right, right. Well, you know, you, you probably get the same, but we'll get a songwriter will send me a song to listen to to see if I have any ideas. But they'll, they'll say, the Lord gave me this song. Yeah. So I think, well, I'm not going to try to improve on the Lord giving you a song. And, and then I'm thinking inside, well, the Lord must have had an off day about that. You know what I mean? So... And so it's not helpful always to say, and I, I would rather give a prophetic word that people have the option of receiving or not receiving based on them hearing and not just me say putting a bunch of God words in to make it more difficult. And sometimes I guess you, you get an encouraging uh, outcome for a prophetic word that you've given. You were telling me about uh, somebody that you spoke to recently yeah, I was just at a conference last weekend, and this this guy came up. He's about 30 years old, and he said, You couldn't remember me, but when I was 10 years old, the Hudson Taylors came to Texarkana, Texas, and I was a little 10-year-old boy, and you you took me aside and said, uh, I think I have a word for you that you're going you're gonna to speak uh, to your generation. You're going to speak maybe to churches. You're going to speak to different nations, but I kept using the word speak. And he said, what I didn't know is that he could not speak at all until he was six years old. Then he had difficulty speaking, and people told him, you will never speak in front of crowds. You'll be lucky to speak in a conversation. Well, he took that word, and his mom and dad framed it for him. He put it in his room. He looked at it every day. And the long and short of the story is, is he went to Christ for the nations and got a degree. He became a youth pastor, which he's been for 10 years. He's been speaking in groups. He's spoken in Africa and in India. And he's telling me all these stories. And, he, and then the last thing he said was, that little word that you probably don't even remember changed the direction of my life. And I thought, this is why I do this. So, you know, you're convinced that in these days, God still speaks. I do. I do, know. That's the, that's the, uh, my life message is that he still speaks. And uh, you've written a couple of books. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about these books and why, you, why do you write these books? Well, I felt at one point that, that it was time to make what I have seen and experienced clear and write it down so others might benefit from it. So I took my life message, He Still Speaks, and a friend of mine, Tom Lane, who's a pastor in a church in Texas, we uh, approached him. I said, could we write a book together about the reality that God still speaks? And from John ten twenty seven, Jesus expects uh, people to hear. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So, So I thought, how can we take the weird out of that and the manipulation out of it and just tell people it's not just the special people on special days and special rooms that can hear from God, but as a kingdom of priests, we can all hear from God. So that's what the books were about. First book, He Still Speaks, I wrote uh, as sort of an underpinning of that whole idea uh, about 12 years ago. And then just this last weekend, we released a new book called He Still Speaks to Kids 
with the idea that there's no junior Holy Spirit and that God speaks to whoever has ears to hear. And I think kids uh, can be, you can create environments that kids can learn to hear the Lord, just like adults do. So we put our combined 80 years of experience of pastoring churches into things that we think would be helpful to parents and youth pastors, anyone that works with youth, that they can help their, their kids learn to hear the Lord, come to salvation, um, realize it's not weird. Uh, it's, it should be a normal part of a, a believer's life. Yeah. Right. And if people want to get hold of these books, uh, where can they get them? They can go to com, or they can go to Amazon. They can go to uh, Gateway Publishing uh, and uh, they can I think probably Amazon would be more for uh, nations beyond the United States. Here in the States, probably be com. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Just to bring our little conversation to a close, I mean, lots of amazing stories over the years that have gone uh, past for you but uh, what what do you see for the future what are you uh, doing right now because obviously you're, you're still making music still visiting churches uh, the next period any ideas what might come well I think the issue right now on the earth one of the main issues is identity there's a lot of identity confusion there's a lot of uh, people uh, wandering around without much direction. And I think uh, it's time for believers in Jesus to realize that they're meant to be salt and light. They're not meant to be up in ivory tower somewhere, but we need to be out right alongside other people, uh, being a people of God, a people of his presence. Hopefully that we live in a way that, that gives salt that preserves or light that illuminates. And so I hope, uh, as the world seems to be getting darker, that maybe we can shed some light on the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, and without doing it in a religious way. But I really think it's time for Christians not to be overbearing or arrogant, but to humbly come out of the corners and just get into society and you know, everybody has a pulpit. You don't have to be a preacher, but you're, you have a pulpit somewhere of influence. And so I think it's time for believers to uh, just sort of stand up and be counted, not in, a, in an arrogant way, but in a, in a way of a servant's heart, trying to obey the command to love God and, and love people. Yeah. Well, Wayne, thanks. It's been great to talk to you. And I guess if people want to get in touch with you personally, they can do so through your website. Yeah, waynedrain.com. And uh, I I will get those messages and be happy to respond. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to our conversation today. Thanks for listening to our confession. Thank you, Noel.